lot of people think you live multiple times, but you only live once. So you get to do things, travel, have experiences. And I think my dad was a mechanic. He hated his job, 4 a.m. wake ups, cold garages. And you see like one parent hate their job. And you're like, well, what if I didn't hate my job? That would be cool. Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Joey Chaplasso, Corcoran. Bones <laughs> is in the house. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Excited to do this. So... We just have to start off with the bones, the nickname, the origination, the story for the listeners. Oh boy. There's lots of people who know you as bones. Doug Smith. Doggy Bear. You need to text him back. Former fractional CFO. That's everyone knows you as bones, but they don't know the story. So please. And, And before you get in, I just want everyone to know, that's really what we call you. Like, that's how I introduce you. That's, I think it's it's great. I'm a big fan of it. But yeah, you need to tell us the story. I don't even know the story. I think it's he's like, one. he's our version of Madonna. It's Bones. Yes. Right. Sting. Yeah. It's Madonna, <laughs> Pele. There are very few people that can get by with just one, a one name. Right? <laughs> one name moniker. Yeah. Normally I deflect it too. I think <laughs> I get a few more drinks in me. <laughs> Because the story is pretty underwhelming. Yeah, I entered college freshman year, mm-hmm. and you know, Joe or Joey's a pretty generic name. So I always thought it'd be cool to have a nickname. So I thought Joey Bones rolled off the tongue. So I started saying it because I realized if you tell people your name is something, they just start calling you it. So I started doing that. Wow. And then I was like, oh crap, people think this is my name. <laughs> and I was like, it's kind of a cool name. So it then, is a cool name. Yeah, and then when I came here, there was like seven Joey's. So Jeremy was like, you got any nicknames? And he was calling me Joe. So like, people used to call me Bones. <laughs> and Jeremy uh, Wood. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, so it uh, it stuck. He is like Madonna or like, you know, Puffy. He used to go by Pete Diddy and then Puffy or Puffy and Pete Diddy, Kanye. Changes. Very few people can pull that off in the course of their lifetime and get, just change their name. And Bones recognized that opportunity freshman year of college and just took it. Yeah, and then it survived the jump to the corporate world too, because a lot of my friends have a lot of nicknames. A lot of nicknames die trying to make that leap. Yeah, yeah, not bones. So we'll. I like it. I love it. One of my favorite things. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things. (laughs) There are lots of things I like about you, but that's definitely one of them. We're good. Well, we got let's 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 unpack and walk down memory lane for our listeners. Talk to us, bones, a little bit about. Your background, you growing up, what were you like? Where'd you grow up? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm from Garden City, Long Island, New York. Grew up there, was a big sports guy, sports family. My sister was really good at softball. I think she was the number one catcher on the East Coast. 
So she was really good, but she hated softball. So she quit her junior year of high school, which is like when you get scouted and everything. Yep. She ended up going D3, All-American, like broke all the records there. Mm-hmm. I peaked in my athletic career at age 12. <laughs> I was like that pitcher that threw too many innings. I think I started three games in like a national tournament in one day. We won. It was awesome. And then I pitched the next weekend. I was like, my arm hurts and it never stopped hurting. So many curveballs. Yeah. Yeah. I never even threw one too. So I wouldn't hurt my arm and then it hurt anyway. So was cut from my high school baseball team freshman year, was cut sophomore year and was like, damn. So that like, sucked because I was really good and then like I was as good as I was at age 14 Mm -hmm. 15 as I was at like age 12 yeah which sucked but then I came back junior year tried out again which was like weird because people like look at shit like this guy didn't get the hint (laughs) and I was like yeah I'm still here then did like the winter conditioning stuff got in like good shape made the team and then was on it senior year too and like pitched a little bit yeah, bones. But my ERA junior year was infinity. I had one appearance and gave up a grand slam without recording an out. So in the yearbook, they didn't do the infinity sign, which I was afraid they were going to. Uh, it was just a dash. <laughs> that would have been a good name, too, infinity. I like bones better. Yeah, yeah. So that one was a tough ride home. Uh, finally got the chance. It was like 12-0, then it was 12-4. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the only that was the only appearance Bones takes the bump during mop up town <laughs> mop, mop up time and just gets demolished you should start throwing knuckleballs just, just to see yeah well I threw a splitter which made my arm hurt worse yeah. <laughs> Roger yeah keep going alright wait hold on but what were you like as a kid then? So were you a sports guy? Were you school? Did you have a job too? Like what, what, what Any hustles? Any side hustles? Not as a kid. My sister was the the main hustler. She she would do like uh, the extreme couponing, okay. flea markets. So I would like help her out with like endless shampoos. She mm-hmm. has like her own sneaker store on eBay. So she just built a house in upstate New York. Yep. She has a dedicated shoe room of her favorite shoes and then the basement is just like a Nike store of like bins and shoes. So I didn't have that gene growing up, at least I thought. It was mostly mm-hmm. like regular kid, ride your bike, go to the park. Yep. Same thing. Like in high school, it wasn't until probably post-grad or college I started, you know, doing the schemes and stuff. But growing up was yeah, pretty normal, like Long Island. Yeah. What did you think you wanted to be? Because I want to come back to the schemes, but with this... Let's go. So what did you think you wanted to do when you were in high school? Yeah, it's crazy. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I remember I bowled my junior year of high school to get out of off-season, or this was a senior year, to get out of off-season winter conditioning for baseball. Because uh, if you played a sport, you didn't have to do the winter workouts. And I was yeah. on a team at this point. And the bowling coach told me I should be a uh, talk show radio host. But you can't just like kind of do that. So I had no idea. It was just kind of you go to college because yeah, that was okay. like the thing to do. Okay. New York State had has a good SUNY program. So I got into mm-hmm. Binghamton, which is the number one. Yep. It was originally deferred. Then they let me in. But it was still just kind of checking the boxes of like, yeah, this is what you do. Undecided. And like you go through the motions. What did you major in once you got to SUNY Binghamton? 
I was a political science major and then ended up double majoring in psychology and political science. Okay. And what did you think you were going to do then? Is this when the schemes, you started running the schemes or when was, when was? No. So I didn't know what I was going to do. I picked political science partially because it was easy, partially because it was like somewhat interesting. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't really plan on getting an advanced diploma. So I was like, what if I just combine it with the other major that's useless without an advanced diploma? And then maybe together they could be something. So I picked up psych because there was some overlapping stuff and did like one summer class with that and still was able to graduate in, in four years, but still didn't really know at all. Did you do anything in college? Yeah. Summers or what, would you, what were you up to? Yeah, I did the political canvassing stuff. So that was probably my early intro to sales without realizing it. It was 15 an hour, which in 2016 was a lot. And they give you like a tablet, you just knock on people's doors and like try to convince them to vote for, at the time it was the founder of Dick Sporting Goods' daughter. So it was doing that. Realized that, you know, as a classic, there was no commissions. You got more people to vote or whatever. It didn't matter. And was like, all right, well, if I did that, maybe I should look at sales stuff. Because you were, you, you, you did something pretty good in that internship, right? Or that job, where she, where she good at getting people to commit. Yeah, yeah. And you were kind of like, mm -hmm. go to that. Yeah, it didn't really matter. So there was like the pledge to vote cards. There was like convince them to vote for this lady, and you know, you'd come back. It would be either a four, eight, or twelve hour shift, and you'd come back and like you'd talk about it, but they didn't really care. And, you know, it goes with the door-to-door -door gig. Some people do nothing. So you'd come back and be like, yeah, I got all these people. And they were like, cool. Like, there's no bonuses or anything. And you, you were like, oh, that's interesting, right? Like, I'm doing well, but there's no... I'm doing better than my colleague, mm -hmm. right? Not in a, in a production sort of way. But you, you weren't able to see, like, any upside for that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that was kind of... didn't make much of it at the time. I was yeah, like, yeah, that right. might just be how the world works. Took, stayed that summer going into my junior year and to take a psych class so I could still graduate, was doing construction, was really bad at that. Wasn't construction? Of, yeah. That, that I believe. That I believe. Yeah, we would do a lot of demo because apparently it's harder to mess up demo. Yeah. So I had to take out this wall and then one time I hit the wall and like the pipe exploded. <laughs> and it was like a full house episode, like rotating, filling up buckets with my friend yeah. uh, until like the guy came. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the guy was super nice. He actually ended up being one of my references for here. So I did that and I like, had a ton of fun in like the college town. I was like a townie living the life, just do construction. It was like an extra semester. It was great. So after you graduated, no, this was no, uh, no. going into my junior going year. Going into junior, okay. Yeah, so oh, I was I see. like, the extra semester was the summer. Yeah, so okay. like, yeah, as much as I love my high school friends and family, I was like, it's kind of awesome up here. Yeah. I think I had a top knot at the time too, like shaved the sides of my head, yeah, looked like okay. a hibachi chef. Okay, right. Top knot and highball. Yeah, so then the senior year, I like went to my couple friends. I was like, we gotta find an excuse to to stay here again. Like, let's see if we could get internships. So. Sales internships are plentiful, and I had two offers. One was to stand in, like, a Sam's Club, which is, like, a Costco, mm -hmm. and, like, switch people to, like, direct TV or something. Yeah. And the other was the Around Campus group. Okay. So... Now we're talking. So this is the summer after the, the Around Campus? Yeah. Was summer after your junior year or after your senior year? I'm sorry, I missed that. Uh, 
this is going into my senior going year. Going into your senior year. Mm-hmm. I want to stay up in Binghamton again. Yeah. Because it's great to be there in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And then you sales internships, and then you settle on around campus. And tell everybody what around campus is for those who don't know. Yeah. it was, I guess. So around campus partnered with like uh, 200 plus universities. And it was almost like they outsourced the advertising in their planners. So as you know, planners are huge. Everybody uses a planner. Not really, but you would go. It was a really good sales experience. You'd go business to business. It'd be like, hey, student handbook. Everyone gets one. Wouldn't it be cool to be on the cover, be on page one, be on the back? So you would go to these businesses and like sell them that. But it was, you know, you weren't with the university, but it was the university planner and everything mm-hmm. that that came with that. And you would go to the sell in these college towns, you'd go to like the local bars, the wing specials, right? Or you'd go to the, I don't know, the storage lockers. Like you, you, you sell a business owner store to door. Yeah. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So you'd spend your days doing what in this role? The goal is to go to 30 businesses a day. 30 door, 30 door knocks. Mm-hmm. And, and who are you looking for when you're doing that? A business owner. Business owner. And, and your, your goal is to sell them advertising space. Yep. For their professional service or their um, business to provide. Nail salon, yes. florist. Yeah. Yeah. Would you? How is that different than the, than the political uh, gig where you were kind of getting people to, you were trying to win votes and registrations? It was terrifying. Yes. Yeah. Because the other one didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. This is, it was $150 a week. That's all you got. Yeah. So I remember because you did a full week training in North Carolina, which was awesome. Yep. I was like, oh, this is legit. So they fly you out there, you're training, you meet your manager. You have a couple like area managers too. So there's the regional manager, two area ones. And you're on a team of, I was on a team of four. So one of four. You do all that. They make it seem fun. You're doing all the role plays. You're like, oh, I'm going to crush this. And then day one, you're like, all right, morning huddle ends and go. And you're like, wait, I just walk in. You just walk in. And like, what do I say? Like, yeah. yeah. So that was, I still remember that moment of like, oh, all right. Like, I'll just walk in and like, you're terrible at first. That's absolutely. Too. You're bad. Right? Yeah. I said door knock, but it was at people's houses, not like this. So what was it like doing that gig? Like, how were you? Were you good at it? Were you not good? Did you get better at it? Like, give us... Yeah. So, I think being bad forces you to get good. I guess that's how it goes with everything. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. you know, you're getting rocked. And, you know, you learn the little tips and tricks of, like, you know, you don't want to be, hey, I'm with you around campus groups. Sounds different than, like, hey, I'm working on behalf of a partnership with the university. And, like, you're not saying you're with the university, but you kind of are. It's the school planner. And then maybe you start shifting to the different parts of town where the students are afraid to go and the businesses are like, I'd love to have some students in here. So you find the different places and and go there. Work in the angles. Yeah, yeah. Dress a little different. Maybe wear a suit when you go to the fancier places. Dress a little scrappier if you're going downtown. Things like that. And were you good at it? Like, How are your numbers? Yeah, yeah. So I was really good at it. But what's cool with sales is you think, I thought I was doing a bad job, right? You get a sale, you're like, I could have got more. Or you lose a sale, but you got two others that week and be like, damn, this week sucked, but you look around and what's cool at sales is when you're bad, you're terrible. So so people get zero, especially in that. They don't know what they're signing up for. A lot of people quit and a lot of people get nothing. So I thought I was doing mediocre, like okay. And I think I was 15th in the country. And they did a really good, yeah, they, they do a really good job of like stack ranking it, showing you where you're at and everything. Fifth, hold on, sit, sit on that for a second. 15, 15th out of 600-ish. 
That's amazing. Yeah, so that was about 60, 70% of the way through it. And I was like, wow. And we didn't really have too many renewals or whatever, like the, the quick ones. Right, I'm talking about Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah, this would be a medium. Working it. Yeah, I was mostly going to the hood and um, okay. barber shops. And I had done the summer before, so I knew the restaurants too, mm -hmm. where people didn't go. Mm -hmm. So you use that advantage. Okay. And I was a Chinese food delivery man too. Okay. Couldn't get them on board. They're too <laughs> suspicious of it. But, you know, you get a couple and you get the referrals and, and network from there. Get but, it going. But it wasn't the place. I didn't end up getting deals with the places. You know, you take the internship, you're like, I'll get this bar. I love mm -hmm. this restaurant. It was never the ones you thought advertising in it. It was the ones you least expect, like a random, like, I think my first sale was an antique store. And the pitch was, hey, there's X amount of sororities and fraternities. They need composites each semester. They, you know, you make composites, like everyone wants to support small business. And that was the first sale. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it was like 750 bucks and you know, write like a check and yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. If you're competitive, driven, and curious, it's time to consider a professional sales opportunity that your future self will thank you for. With an unmatched training program and a tradition of elevating our people, Memory Blue has helped hundreds of successful professionals launch lucrative tech sales careers. You will grow in a highly marketable, you will grow, you will grow highly marketable skills through ongoing mentorship from seasoned sales leaders while showcasing your abilities for tech industry royalty and some of the hottest startups around. And you'll do it all surrounded by driven, like-minded colleagues immersed in our award-winning company culture. As your tenure progresses, you will attract a host of career options. This includes moving up internally or venturing out into the tech industry, where tech companies pay a premium for Memory Blue experience. We have immediate openings in our offices from coast to coast. Visit memoryblue.com SDR and apply today. What what did you learn well, from a sales skill standpoint or an approach? And what did you learn from all those door knocks and those meetings, you know, sit downs or whatever you want to call them? And what, what skill did you develop? I think resiliency is a big one. Okay. You get like a lower resting heart rate. Mm -hmm. You're not as like, you learn that asking multiple times works and like the day matters and people's mood mm -hmm. matters. What do you mean the day matters? Like, I remember there'd be times my manager, George Guerrero, he'd come in town and he'd be like, hey, like, what do you got? Well, you know, what do you have where there's like, they've turned you down before? I'd be like, oh, here's like four or five. Like, it's not worth it. And he'd be like, yeah, let's go see. Why did they turn you down? I'd be like, oh, X, Y, and Z. And he'd go in and just say, it would always fascinate me, just like a different combination of words or he'd have a deeper discovery and then pivot it. And then those would be closed deals. And I remember at the time I thought, you know, that doesn't really count because my manager did it or he helped me and he's like that's that's the gig everyone else he's like they're getting renewals they have managers he's like your pipeline quote unquote is enormous he's like you're you're six weeks into uh or not even three weeks into your first sales job he's like that's the job to create opportunities you have three managers we can help you close those things so i was like all right like now it's starting to click and that's kind of how it works at the SaaS level too right if you're an ae you have a lot of really good opportunities and you're like, hey, I'm struggling to close this. In theory, that's what like the director VP is kind of supposed to do. Get over those. So 
in my mind, I was like, those are cheap ones. That doesn't count. And then it's like, no, that's they absolutely count. the world. Team yeah. sport. Yeah. To a certain extent. Mm-hmm. To a certain extent, it's a team sport. Yeah. All right. So did you enjoy having that job? Oh, yeah. That was a blast. That was when I realized you didn't need to have like a desk job where we meet. We were the number one team in our number in our region, which was number one. So it was a ball. We would do happy hours. If we had a prospect that was tough, we would double team it on our own as a team. We would like good cop, bad cop. It was so much fun. And then our, you know, it felt like a kid, but you know, you view your manager, you think he's 35 years old. Then you find out your manager's 24 years old. And you're like, what the heck? It's like, yeah, it's like how this works. Like you could like do this. And you find out one of your, ma- your area managers like a year younger than you. You're like, what? So yeah, it was a ball. Why were some people you think successful on that and some people weren't? Because like you've acknowledged the degree of difficulty, right? You do walk into some plum patch. Y'all to the same training. So wh- wh- where does, like, you said some people go the whole summer and not get anything? Yeah. But not quite. Like, wh- where and why and how, right? Mm-hmm. I think part one, just like anything's doing it. A lot of people don't do it. They fake it. They think they're doing it, but they're not actually doing it. If you're going to 30, 35 businesses and you're trusting the script and actually trying, you're going to stumble into some. Yes. So that's a big part of it is, you know, who knows who's actually doing that and trusting the process and then just trying to like get better of like, all right, analyzing how did I lose that? What would I have done different? And then trying to get better. A lot of people, they get frustrated, they blame other things. And if you just, you know, remove the results from it, I'd be like, all right, what was different? What was in my control? What was out of my control, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Take some notes. So you did that. And then you came back your senior year, you finished school? Yep. And how did memory blue? Like, where did you think you were, what did you think you were going to want to do then? Versus, you know, four and a half years ago when you're coming out of high school. Yeah. So that internship was awesome because I was like, oh, wow. And my manager's like, you could do this. You just do sales. So there was no education at Binghamton of like sales was a career. It was just used car salesman. And I was like, I'm not going to insurance. college. Yeah, insurance. It's but like non-college degree type sales roles. Yes. So it's like, you're not going here to do that. And... Even at the time, I was still considering doing political science stuff. I had an opportunity to work in the in Chuck Schumer's office, but I had spelt the name of the daughter of the Dick Sporting Goods guy who I'd worked with. I spelt her name wrong. Um, First name or last name? I don't even remember now, <laughs> but matter. one of the names was wrong. Yeah. yeah. So it was like I had done the intern. The guy was like one of my managers, and it was like a shoo-in. So it was like, yeah, just send your resume in. And I sent it in and the woman's name was spelled wrong. So he like apparently crumbled it up there. He was mad because his boss crumbled it up and was like, what the heck? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right, like, sorry, I'm just a kid. So that went out the window. And then I was like, I don't even think I wanted to do that. And then the around campus group had a career fair and memory blue was there with like other ones. And I think they had snow cones and Super Bowl Monday off. So I was in. <laughs> That's all it takes. <laughs> Snow cones and Super Bowl Monday off. So, yeah, I remember that career fair. So, was that, were you coming back to around campus for your second summer, or was this just your... No, that was actually during the week of training. 
for your one and only summer doing it? Yeah. Okay. So you go out there and it's like, hey, if you do well, you could work at these different companies. So you have like a list of those like Tom James, Bloomberg, uh -huh. something gold. So it's like you keep those in the back of your mind. It's like you do well, they'll reach out to you. And so you did well, obviously, 15 out of over 600 reps. Mm -hmm. Top rep on the top team in the top district, the whole nine. You go back to your senior year. Well, then how did we end up connecting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was reached out to by Tom James. Um, that was my manager, George Guerrero was like a big influence on me. He was like, you know, talk to everybody, but like that was my first gig out. I don't know if that'd be your, your specialty. He recommended Bloomberg and Memory Blue. He was like, definitely talk to those people. So reached out, had a conversation with Bloomberg. That was cool. That was kind of like the, the fancy one sure, per se. And then he was like, but I think you'd be a really good fit at Memory Blue. And I was like, yeah, I reached out. They didn't hear Who back. Who told you that, Bloomberg? Or not your George? Uh, George Guerrero. Okay, George, okay. Thanks, George, if you're listening. Yeah, George. Um, that guy, cocktail. <laughs> so he was like, you reach out. And I was like, I did. They didn't get back. He was like, they didn't, hold on, wait, 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 wait. What happened? They didn't reach back out when I applied. Man. Yeah. That, that's, all, that's all just a test. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think he had gotten me an email or something. He was like, e email, you know, this email. Um, and see if you get in there. So this was October, my senior year. Did the memory blue process, did a Zoom, and then had to drive in. I think it was a Friday. And they were like, how's 11 work? And I said, okay, because I didn't think you were allowed to say no. But I was in upstate New York, and the drive down was like five, six hours. So I started doing some math, and you know, you're a college kid, so it's not, math isn't easy, and neither is waking up. So I was like, all right, six minus 11 is five. Oh, it's a Thursday. I have to now beg my roommates to not have a party or a post game so I can sleep. That was a mess. Left at like 4.35, was still late. Five and a half hour drive. Yeah. So I got here, I was like, oh, I'm going to be in trouble. You're not supposed to be late to interviews. Interviewed with Nick Perry. I remember he was wearing a... Swaggy P. Yeah, he was wearing a Giants polo. And I was like, wow, this guy just doesn't care about rules. Like, look at that. He's, like, he's got a collar on. He's repping his sports team. I was like, that is awesome. So I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And then Jeremy Wood, too. Did that. Was preparing for the role play on my drive. That didn't go well. Yeah. So totally botched the role play. Jeremy gave me another chance to do it to see how I did feedback. I was like, that was terrible. I was like, you probably don't believe any of what I said about anything before because of how bad that was. He was like, no, 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 no. So the second one was better. He liked the way I inputted feedback, I guess, when they got the offer. Okay. And so you started. Mm -hmm. well, did you know anybody in D.C.? Or No, no, I didn't know anyone. So I wanted to recreate the freshman year of college experience where you're in a brand new setting. Cause I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I was like, you have all your high school friends from home and then you just made like a new version of like all your best friends somewhere else. I was like, what if I could do that somewhere else? That would be pretty cool. You have three sets of best friends. Yes. Hold on. <laughs> How does this come up in your mind? Cause I think it's great. I think it's a phenomenal concept. I think it's how everybody should do their freshman year of college. So, but how did you think this, I want to replicate this just cause, cause college is so much fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I remember alumni weekend, you know, the people that just graduated would come back and they were all miserable. 
they were, and I was in a underground fraternity, and you know, wasn't Under, the, underground fraternity. Yeah, yeah of course. He, yeah, of course. so that was. Of course, it was underground. That <laughs> was sanctioned. <laughs> that was fun. Schemes. Yeah, so we had a couple cease and desists. Yeah. It was fun, and I was yeah. president too, so that was stressful. <laughs> Risking it all for not really sure what, but you know, stakes are high and your your prefrontal cortex isn't fully formed. But yeah, that was super fun and was like, all right, like, you know, everyone would come back and be like, live it up, this is as good as it gets. And I was like, well, I've, you know, more or less accidentally double majoring. Like, it's like, this is kind of hard and annoying. I don't want this to be the peak and entry level jobs across the board kind of suck. So, I was like, well, where can I, you know, what should I prioritize? And I was like, well, growth, because if they suck, let me get in, learn what I need to, yep. to get to the next level. Yep. I like being president of these hooligans. Leadership could be a thing. Yep. And then culture, too, because mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, if it's going to suck, you might as well like the people you're with and go mm -hmm. to a company that's like, you know, prioritizes culture mm -hmm. and whatnot. So I made those the two biggest things. So I think when it was between Bloomberg and Memory Blue, it's like, where do you, you know, think you'd be you know, happier? It's like, in a vacuum, you're going to succeed. Where would you rather be doing well? And I was like, well, easy choices, memory blue. Got it. All right. And so, why was that? Why did you make the way? What was it about the company? I think it was the, the vibe. Walking around the office was big. Nick Perry's Giants polo, which is all the different pictures I remember, the stories. Jeremy Wood had a, a video of the final book happening in the March Madness incentive mm -hmm. to then go watch like all the games. So all those things that Bloomberg didn't really have, they were more like hunger games -y of like, you know, you do this, that, and be like, and it was not to sound cocky, but it was like, I think I'll be good at both, but like, you know, this other place seems more fun to be good. Mm. All right, so tell us about what it was like when you started. So I remember I started, I had my graduation party June 16th, I think I had like 30 or 40 people there. They all gave me like $30. So that was huge. It like 10x the old bank account. So paid enough for like security deposits, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Drove down, kissed my ex-girlfriend goodbye. Moved to Reston because Jeremy Wood didn't mention that that was just really far away. Yeah. So I was looking at some Google Maps like, wait, DC's here. I work here. I live here. That's not going to be good for the late night Ubers. So I had all my garbage bags, lived in a townhouse in Reston with two guys I met through like Craigslist or something. Mm -hmm. One was like cool dude. And then the other ended up becoming one of my best friends. He just got engaged. I just drove to New Jersey for his um, really? engagement party. Yeah. Was in the Air Force. So totally random. Yep. His name's Joey Spence. Of course, his name is Joey yeah, which also helped with the bones. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. So I got a bunch of Joey's here, Joey's yeah. here. So I went by bones. And yeah, and then started, sat next to memory blue alumni Jordan Chaplin and was like, all right, this is interesting. But since I had prepared for the role play in my car, I didn't really understand how it worked still. So I was like, well, the role play was memory blue. I guess I'm selling memory blue. So I got my first client stay in touch. It was a boutique PMS for soft for boutique hotels. Yep. Yeah. And I thought I was in trouble. And I was like, oh, wow, my role play was so bad. I have to like prove it here before I could start selling memory blue. So I told Jeremy that he was like, no, 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 that's not how it works. Explain that to me. I was like, all right, cool, cool. <laughs> Whoever had my headset before me had it turned all the way up. Maybe it was a going away gift. 
So I was bad. I didn't know how, how it worked. It was way different than in-person sales. And I thought when the job description, I was like, wow, I don't have to close anything. I was like, this is a, a joke, really. Like I just have to set up, sell interest and like set up a meeting. I was like, I'd sold $30,000 worth of advertising. Like the hardest part's closing. I was like, if I was judged based off of like the interest I created, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> I was like, this is, wow, they're like, they're gonna get, yeah, like I'm gonna be rich. And then you learn like, oh my God, like what is that same feeling of when I started my internship of like, how am I ever gonna get anything? Like I gotta cold call these people. They don't know I'm calling. Like what? I live in Virginia now with two people from the internet. Yeah. Like what? Yeah, it's a crisis of confidence and identity for everybody. I think. Yeah. Right. And you have all this great experience, and even then. Oh yeah, and I'm screaming because the headset is all the way turned up, so everyone in my row is looking at me, and I'm thinking it's because I'm so bad, and I'm See, like, yeah, I know I'm bad, but you don't have to look at me, but I'm screaming. Yeah, he said it's going away gifts. <laughs> and then, so keep going. So like, what happened? So did you, did you have like, dude, this is not for me. What am I doing? Or do I need to go back to do, like something more, more door door? Like, and I don't know, like what? And how'd you kind of, you worked your way out of it, obviously. Yeah, I remember it kind of confused Jeremy in the interview. Cause you know, you try to size up the candidate like hundred hours a day. Think you could do that? I was like, I have no idea how to benchmark that. Like, what, how many people work here? Is like 100. I was like, do they do it? He's like, yeah, it's the standard. I was like, all right, they could do it. I could do it. So it's kind of like looking around and like, you you know, you're in call evals and you're like, oh, all right, like I could do that. Or it's like, all right, I might not be good, but I'm better than that person. Yeah. So it's just kind of that. And I think I got my first book, like three days of dialing in. And you're like, oh my God, that worked. Like, and then you build some confidence, tips, tricks, you, you know modify some things and you know it's kind of similar to the internship i didn't think i was good you hear your calls and you're cringing and you're like i'm terrible but you know you look at the dhr and you look at your quota and it's like oh wait i'm doing good what this is something that sparked me well who else was here when you fired things up so you said jordan who else yeah so my original team so i started early mm-hmm. in june most of the may grads i feel like usually start in july and yeah. august so it was interesting because I it definitely gave me a huge advantage because at the time Jeremy's team was tenured. So I came on and got month 13, 14, 15 of Jesse Standard, Jack D. Batista, oh, wow, Don Scaduzzo. Wow. So of that team, and I was the first of the new ones in. And guy, I remember like Jesse's email campaign and like seeing that. And, uh, blew my mind. I was like, you get email books? Like what? So doing that. And then I learned you could get email books after email too. So I was like, whoa. And then the new people came in, Caroline Sullivan, the room we're in, Ian Onspach, Olivia Knight, that wave came in. Peyton Saunders started a week after me. So we were buddies. Heavy hitters right there. Yeah. So I stopped getting Subway alone. So I had a friend, which was big, big development. And he was on Joey Plesh's team. So we kind of came up for that month together before like the new wave started. That's amazing. And how long were you in SDR? 11 months. 11 months. And so professionals, particularly elite professionals, they end up getting these signature moves, Mm -hmm. right? 
Hemolajuan has the Dream Shake. And Bones has the QuickBook. Yeah. So why don't you talk to the listeners about what what's a QuickBook and how you made that your signature? Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So I start in June. Jeremy actually moved up my start date because the first ever top strip was happening. He was like, if you start in June, you'll be eligible if you hit quota in June to go to this like awesome sounding trip in November. I was like, sold. <laughs> so I started in June. Was, you know, you're ramping. I think my quota was, was one, hit that. And then it's July. I pivot to a cybersecurity client and I'm getting rocked. And I'm booking almost daily, but my hold rate's abysmal. And at the time we would do the advanced sales training and Carly Armentrout would do it a lot. So I go in there and I'd be like, I can't get my prospects to show up to my meetings. She was like, oh, that's normal. What are we talking? I was like, I'm like three for 25. I think my client's gonna cancel. She was like, oh my God, what are you doing? Um, I was like, I explained it. She's like, you can't do that. Um, She's like, I'm building any value. I'm like, I'm getting all these books. Like they gotta eventually start showing up. She's like, that's not how it works. It's not like you're due. She's like, it's just gonna keep happening. I was like, but I'm calling these cybersecurity people and I give my long spiel, they hang up on me. She's like, well, you got to figure out a way to incorporate the value that comes with your long spiel into what you're doing now so that these prospects actually feel like showing up. So that was July. I hit six of eight meetings. So it was my only time ever missing quota. And I had booked 20, 25 meetings. So I went from like thinking I was good, had like some hype. You know, one of my early meetings like went well. And I remember like looking around, be like, wow, I could like really be like the number one person here. And then just like that, July, you're just another person that hits six of eight and like you're in like yellow or red on the DHR. And you're like, oh, I'm like, that's bad. Like, I'm like not that person, like didn't come down here to do that. But it's like sales is results. It's just that. So I was like, I'm never missing quota again. Like, I got to figure this thing out. And I was like, I'm getting these books, which is half the job. Is there a way to keep the amount of books I'm getting while getting my hold rate up to 70 or 80%? So it was started out very raw, but then you learn, you know, the phrase that pays, for example, of like, all right, let me get the book, but then let me like freeze it and be like, all right, what are we going to talk about here? Um, Because then the pressure is kind of off. It's like, you got what they want building rapport before the phrase that pays. So then when you ask what they're interested in and covering and taking guesses and uh, taking guesses at what they're interested in, reading current events is kind of like a bunch of everything. And then you get sharper and sharper with it and then knowing when to use it too. I like to use like the J.R. Smith analogy. You don't want to be J.R. Smith just throwing terrible shots up all the time. But, you know, in a perfect world, hey, I have a quite a bad time. No. There's no need to throw up like a hook shot or like a, a quick book. You go into the normal pitch and everything. But a lot of the time, hey, I've caught you a bad time. Yeah, what's going on? You've got to be able to, you know, shoot off balance and not with your feet set. Perfect world. Yeah, you set your feet elbow in and it's a swish. That's just not the reality of like a real game. So it's just kind of harnessing the off balance shots. Yeah. And how do you, that, what is that? That comes with experience. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep, a lot of trial and error. Training. Mm-hmm. Why? So when you're doing this, 
you're figuring these things out. This is what I would say million dollar question, right? Because you're in talent now, and memory blues are all about this talent business. Mm-hmm. When, when you're doing this, you're mentioning these people, you mentioned people who were able to crush it, and they're great people who worked here as people, but they weren't able to kind of duplicate the success that you and some of your colleagues had. You know, what, why do you think that is? And what advice would you have for some of the folks who are coming on board now as SDRs who are going to have the same kind of crisis of confidence that, that uh, you experienced that we all did? Yeah, it's interesting. I think you got to have a lot of like self belief, almost like delusional self belief. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you just got to do it and like know that, like, I just kind of like look around and be like, I could, I could be way better than half of these people. Yeah. Like, let me just keep doing it. I'll eventually get better. I yeah. remember other things you were like bad at. Yeah, but you sound like you were tuned to things, right? Like you got you figured out the QuickBooks stuff, which is good. But then you're like, okay, this isn't going to complete the whole thing. And you always talk about you interact with your colleagues quite a bit. It sounds like yeah, you were learning stuff from them. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, that was like being a sponge around the top performers. I mean, we have the DHR, so you could literally look at the top ten people. Mm-hmm. So what do they do different? You know, what are they doing that you're not doing? So then just adding more and more parts of your to your game. I didn't have an email cadence until I was four months in, five months in, started doing that. Now all of a sudden, all right, I'm pretty good on the phone, my emails suck. All right, you get a really good email one, what's a good follow-up email look like? Then Aaron Agin gives his senior SDR presentation talking about how over half his books came from emails three through five. Foreign, crazy idea, like what, I don't have those picking that up. All right, now I've got a pretty good phone game, got this QuickBook thing, I've got these emails. Wow, these alleged top performing, you know, SDR emails are, they could use a little improvement here, stronger call to action there, maybe a fun little PS, different subject lines. You start playing around with those, now all of a sudden like you've got really strong emails. I never became a big LinkedIn person, but then that started to emerge as I became a, a delivery manager and then people developed that. But a lot of people stop, you know, you get a good fastball and they're like, I could get by with this fastball, but they don't add to their game either because mm-hmm. they're complacent or it's, it's scary and it's hard to, it sucks being bad sucks at something. Bad. And like you send these emails and you got to do the merge fields. And I remember I, I call it my van drip, but I forgot to change the first email or the first name in the merge field and the guy's name was van and it went out to like 150 people what kind of name is van anyway my van drip and it's like embarrassing or like oh is this gonna get back to my client like is jeremy gonna yell at me yeah and you make those mistakes and then i booked a guy not named van from the van drip (laughs) i was like wow like all right if i could book a guy not with the first name wrong like what happens when i start getting the first name right and then you build confidence and go from there Love it. I love it. So when did you think you were going to roll in the management? Because it sounds like that's a, the- a reoccurring theme with you. Mm-hmm. Right? My guess is you were a leader. You, know, you had your great manager around campus, George. Mm-hmm. Then, but my guess is you had a little crew that you were rolling with. And then you've got, you, you got your underground fraternity you were kind of doing. Then you're here at Memory Blue. You're an SDR. And, you, you know, the manager is akin to around campus. The manager's almost older than you. Yeah. If that, sometimes mm-hmm. younger. Yeah. So my mom was always in like leadership in some way, shape, and form. Yeah, mom, I think. Mom bones. Yeah. Um, so she was like a president of the, the school board. She's an attorney, mm-hmm. so always like involved in that sort of stuff, like setting things up, mm-hmm. like even like setting up like the neighborhood block party. Yep. 
So that was probably contagious. And then I just loved being, you know, you have ideas. And then when you're in charge, you can like do the ideas. And when you see yep. things that are not working correctly or could be changed, you could implement them and then like it works. So as you can imagine, underground fraternities come with a lot of like issues and whatnot. So that was always fun. Like lots of freedom though too. Yeah. There are no rules. Mm-hmm. It's kind of lawless, bunch of pirates. Yeah. Which makes it even cha- more challenging because it's not real. It's all made up. There's yeah. nothing, right. nobody would care if you just snapped, it didn't exist anymore. No one would care. There'd be no consequences. So you still have to like build the illusion of like, guys, this is real. We're invested. We meet weekly. We do this. We have rules, a strike system, and there's nothing holding that together except like the appearance of it and obviously having a good time too. So I loved that. And I was like, wow, if I did it with that, with those hooligans and everything, it'd be cool to do it somewhere legit. So you, I want to be in so, you, so you're an SDR, and, and, and so when, tell, tell us about how you became a, a DM. Yeah, so I knew, that was like a big reason I came in, the expedited track to being a DM. So I told Jeremy, like at the Lost Dog lunch, like that's probably what I want to do. One of my clients was trying to hire me out. It was me and Amanda Alfs. She had gone there. Now she's crushing it at CrowdStrike, no longer yeah. at the client. So I think I dodged a bullet there. They were like asking me my favorite Bible quotes and stuff. So I was like, I don't know about all this. And uh, so I said, no, I think it was a 70K base at the time, oh, which wow. was uh, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were also entering the uh, intramural kickball playoffs. So I was like, you know, that's when it kind of dawned on me. Like, you know, you're giving up a lot when you leave. I remember visiting that office. You could hear a pin drop. It was not really the vibe. And I was like, I'll just stay put. Um, you know, you're young, you didn't really have that many expenses. I had one of my friends from college come out here and he was living with us in like a closet in Reston. So rent was really low. I was like, I'm just gonna stay. And she left and I think I dodged a bullet and just keep progressing towards that management track. And how did that appear? So he starts shadowing things. I remember I shadowed one of Simone Comer's client calls. Yeah, so I was like, ooh, that's pretty cool. I think Kristen Wisdorf was terrified to put me in front of clients. So she was really hammering like the join these client calls and whatnot. Cause I was like, hey, I got the email cadences. I got the QuickBooks. Like, come on, give me some kids. She was like, let's just keep working on the client stuff. And I swear she made me write a five page essay. It was like a hundred questions and each one needed a paragraph. So I had to like do that. And she's, like- She's good at helping people prep for the role. And seeing if they really want to do it by how they behave, which puts people to mm. the test. It sounds like you, you, you cleared all those hurdles. Yeah, and you think you're ready month six. So yes. I'm like, I'm itching at it. I'm hitting quota, sizing everyone up. Like, I could do this. But I still say I learned more in month six through nine than I did one through three. Of course. Because then it's like, you know, your email came to a different client. You, you don't become a one-trick pony anymore. Mm-hmm. Transitioning from a cybersecurity client to an HR software client on paper sounds easy. And then I'm getting rocked and my email cadences aren't working. My QuickBooks aren't working because now I'm going from selling to cyber nerds in a basement to soccer moms, whole different persona. So you have to pivot and then you're bad again, just like that new client. And it's like, oh crap, I got to get good at this now. So yeah, going through that, start doing shadowing interviews with Jeremy, doing the write-ups, all that. So I was really seasoned. That's great because there's a whole generation, we had a generation of DMs. But I think we're able to enjoy that amount of experience. Yeah. And I think it kind of bit a couple people in the butt. 
mm-hmm. because there's a lot that goes on in a short amount of time. You know, we've got a bunch of impatient people who are working here, which is good, but can also get you in situations you might not be ready for yet. Exactly. Yeah. So you became a DM. Mm-hmm. Talked about that transition from you know running your thing about being in a leadership role that you're familiar with, but it's not as informal as running a fraternity or like being kind of a team lead ish. It's you're you're accountable now for other people's results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a fun transition. So Jeremy opened up the Boston office, so it aligned with that. Mm-hmm. So they flew out Emmy Moore, Rob Gonzalez, <laughs> Tiffany Tong. And um, so that was cool. Got to know them. And then he left at the time. A lot of Jeremy's team was hired out. So like we were shrinking a couple of rising stars. Some people shifted around. So then I had managed two people that were left. So I started with a team of two. One was Kyle Gross is now fiance. Okay. Brenda. And then one was my roommate at the time. Yeah. So we're two person show. And then me managing my client at the time. So I transitioned my client to my team, which was also an interesting experience. Talk about that. So I remember Jeremy, I think the campaign's going great because me and the guy were killing it. I was like, this is cake. And he was like, well, what you want to do when things are going well, that's a great time to get feedback. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, you know, hold the client back after the call. Be like, hey, where can we improve? Where can we improve? I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, He was like, how many deals have closed? I was like, not my problem. It's like, we bring the leads. That is not my problem at all, Jeremy. And then they cancel because none of the leads are closing and for a bunch of other preventable reasons. And that comes out of nowhere. Email you don't expect, comes through cancel, email chain. So I wasn't even tipped off first. So I'm like, ooh, who's getting canceled on today? And you're looking, you're like, absorb, what? It's my only client. So that wasn't great. So I was like, we didn't do anything wrong. So that was tough. Yeah, your whole world shatters. And you think it's not your fault, but it kind of is. <laughs> and then, so you, you were uh, leading a team of two SDRs with no client? They were in 30 days away from that, yeah. And so then what happened? So picked up another client, I think another couple clients in that time span, some wonky ones, because that's just classic, like a new manager, people kind of like make some deals with you. So a couple funky clients, couple funky SDRs that you didn't necessarily hire that maybe weren't a fit on their current team. So it's like, all right, let's roll the dice, see if Bones can figure them out. So kind of had a ragtag team start to develop. But I knew I was like, all right, to make money and to grow, I got to, first of all, gain new clients faster than I'm losing them, which I'm currently not doing. Let me pick up some of these PPMs, the clients in the paper meeting model, See if I could do something there. I've got some free time because my team's going to kill me if, you know, we just keep doing all these call evals because you're a manager and there's only two, four people on the team. So I started rapidly picking up PPMs and then ended up... You yourself? Yeah. And ended up hitting on one. Oh, you got to talk about this one. Yeah. So that was Alio. So they came in, it was like an HR software incorporating AI to improve recruiting experience. It was AI early. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we had data analytics, data, data analytics company, but they were talking about AI. Yeah, this is 2019. Yep. Um, so I picked up them in Panacea at the same, same time. Uh, and they were cybersecurity. Um, and I was like, all right, let's roll the dice because a lot of the DMs didn't like the PPMs. Um, and I was like, yeah, let's, I mean, let's see. So Panacea wasn't great. It was like VPs and above at Fortune 100 companies. 
very challenging. And then Alia was manager and above at any, you know, legitimate company, more or less. So I still had, you know, friendships, knew the senior SDRs. They trusted my email cadences, kind of like went around, was like, hey, I got a new PPM. You want to make some money? It's free reign. Use my this email cadence, like you'll get books. So it was a 10 PPM basket. I ended up occurring like two of those and we closed it in like a week. So the point of contact was like, wow, all right, 10 more. So like, cool, did that. And then I get an email, I'm laying in bed. It was like 11 p.m. She's in West Coast time and working like 80 hour weeks. So I guess it's 8 p.m. her time. She was like, I'm very pleased with the success here. We have over a half million dollars dedicated towards lead generation. We're willing to put it all to memory blue. If we wanted, you know, if we were gonna scale to 10 AEs, how many SDRs would you recommend? So I'm kind of in bed. Like, oh, wow, this is a pretty cool email. So I don't know, 30? She's like, great, let's do it. And obviously there's negotiations and whatnot, but they end up going to 30. So then the whole time I'm thinking, what if I said 40? The same thing when you're (laughs) working for on campus. You feel like I could have, I could have made what I leave yeah. right? Yeah, because, you know, they, the client trusts you, mm-hmm. you're delivering results. So she's like, what's, and I inverted the ratio because I didn't really know anything at the time. So it's supposed to be three to one the other way. So I actually did it the wrong way. I ended up still working and they grew. But yeah, she was like, all right, let's scale up to 30, long story short. So it went from tiny team, not enough clients to this big old PPM. And then I think they... We're like, but let's buy 500 more leads first. Um, it's like, what? What? <laughs> She's like, we want both. And I was like, oh my God. So that was a whole chaotic thing. That was a lot of chaos and a lot of work for you. Yeah, because then it was how big do you want your, or like, how do we going to focus on the retain versus the PPM? How are the territories of that? It's not free reign anymore. You can't just scorched earth, whatever it takes to get 10 PPMs. It's like, this is like a legitimate operation now, a lot of Excel sheets. So that was stressful. Mm-hmm. But, th- but talk about that. Like, let's just talk about that for a second. Cause that was a big deal. I remember I was involved. Biggest deal in the history of the company. Chris was involved. You were involved. We had some great meetings. We had some uncomfortable meetings. Yeah. And we were all kind of learning how to how to ha- handle it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was, but did, did, we ended up splitting it between our offices. Yeah. Just to just, to just give that thing a little bit more shine. Yeah. So I remember being devastated when Kristen said I couldn't have all 30 because, you know, you're like 22 years old. You're like, it's mine. I was like, give me, give me, what's the record? She's like, what, what do you mean, what's the record? I was like, what's the record for largest team? She's like, like I think someone maybe had like 18 for a little bit. I was like, damn, so 30 is going to be almost double. She's like, you're not managing all 30 and you can't really wrap your head around that at the time so she's like you're gonna have 15 which was still like a ton at the time yeah and then it was five to jackson hawkins in texas and then five to simone and five to jeremy so I was like all right so yeah, it was 30 and it was a lot of moving pieces for sure yeah what'd you learn in that role like being a dm about managing people more formally yeah i'm trying to think of like the best analogy but anything that isn't ex- anything you don't make explicitly clear or have documented will be broken whatever rule or whatever that is on a team of four or smaller teams word of mouth things like it get communicated you can kind of get by with 30 people if things weren't super documented and everything and like here's the process 
There's no such thing as common sense. What can go wrong will go wrong and then inevitably did, whether it's do not call lists, rules of engagement, process setting up meetings. And on a two-person campaign, things happen, you correct it, you tell that person, they don't mess it up again. If you don't make it explicitly clear, six people could make the same mistake and it looks like what's going on. And one of them's in Austin, one's in Boston, two are here. The client doesn't care. It's just, this has happened five times this week. It's like, yeah. well, not really. Like, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so everything would have to be manically outlined. Anytime there was a mistake, making sure everybody knew, doing trainings. Yeah, it was it's hectic. That was a lot of slicing and dicing territories, trying to make it the most fair, handling like what happens if someone does something not in their territory to strip the lead. Yeah. All of that stuff was was madness. What about so I mean you're a higher engine now, well this you we have to get to this into an app too, but what when you were building these teams what were you looking for in SDRs for them to join your, you're hiring people cold, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, so you're, you're developing kind of your hiring philosophy in this role, right? And there are very few people, I know people my age who still haven't conducted like an interview and ever hired anyone. Mm-hmm. You're doing this and you're putting people on plans and you're seeing people get promoted and you're exiting people. So you, you realize pretty quick, like I, I'm drafting this person on my team most of these are first round picks because these clients are going to think of as that. How did you look at, how did you develop your eye for hiring? What was, what's important to you? And the, and the SDR rules, I'm sure it's different than the role. Yeah, yeah, I was terrible at hiring. I was a liability. I thought I was going to be good because I was in a fraternity, but recruiting people to your underground fraternity is very different than hiring salespeople. Um, so when it started, I wasn't actually really hiring. It, yeah. My team was kind of the hodgepodge of like, this person's close to rising stars. This person messed up a lead write up. The client bones. doesn't want them. Let's just give them the bones. Yeah. So I was like, you okay. know, you become a manager. You're like, I'm going to mold my team to this. I'm going to hire people like me. I'm going to have a little bit yeah. of this, a little bit of that. And then I'm looking around. I'm like, I didn't hire half these people. What is this hodgepodge? And I remember Ima Abu Baker being one of those. Oh, yeah. She came from Nick Perry's team, a little bit older. She's kind of hostile to me at first. Yeah. <laughs> Like, who's this guy bones and, yeah. and whatever so it's kind of like a lot of that and i'm like what this is what is this so that was the first wave of it so i think my hiring was delayed so i was i had the appearance of tenure but i had hired as many people as like a one month in dm so i didn't actually know what i was doing but i had the confidence of a tenure dm and i kind of had like the freedom to do it so i started hiring some not so great people and you like we joke you, you know you can generally know by the first lost dog lunch of like how's this person going to be and hiring's hard it's one of the hardest things i guess it's what i do now in my role but it's you know it's kind of like scouting players if it was easy people wouldn't like lose their jobs in sports or in corporate america yeah it's still so hard at the time yeah it's so what are you looking for once you got it right, what were some of the things that you thought, okay, this is what I'm looking for to make somebody a good SDR? Yeah, the track records of overcoming adversity mm-hmm. are huge. Safety nets, because this isn't really the type of thing, because they're going to be bad at it at first, no matter how good they are. Yeah. So what happens that first week when their headset's turned up too high and they're getting hung up on? How are they going to respond to that? Because most people will be good enough at this where they could be good, is this person going to be willing to stick it out to get to that point? And will they be coachable enough 
to be able to get to that point. Those I kind of like isolators, like those are really the only two things that matter. Will they stick with it? And will they input enough of your coaching or other people's coaching and whatever to then be good at it? What's that safety nets thing you just mentioned? That's interesting because it's, it comes in like different shapes and forms. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, thinking about going to law school anyway. So I might do this in between. We have parents, you got a family business, but want to give this a shot first. Yeah. Things yeah. like that. Yeah. I got a background in, in political science. I might go work on the Hill. Things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Escape routes. Yeah. Which are, which are kind of like fantasies most of the time. Mm-hmm. Not, and I'm not trying to pump people with those sorts of dreams, but if I had like a dollar for every person who told me they were going to work for us and go to law school or get their MBA and actually did it, you know, I might not be sitting here right now. Yeah. Which is okay, but if you hold on to those things too tightly, right, you're worried about them not giving their all of this. Mm-hmm. They kind of hold out or are they. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I like the reloads too. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, you Why kind of. Why do because then they're in, they don't have a choice. Yeah. So you have to make it work. So I like that. Well, well you were a reload. Yeah. yeah. So it's always tempting to like hire in your appearance. So, but you, you know, relate to that stuff of like, of course. You see the value in it. It's like, yeah, this person, you know, maybe another manager has concerns about like grit or whatever with the person. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, then I don't have a choice. Yes. It's a long way home. Um, yeah. And they're signing a one year lease. So. I'll take the risk on that yes. because I know what that situation's like. Yes, exactly. That's a good line, Bones. Okay. All right. So you do this DM thing, then you make a transition. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So that was interesting. So about a year and a half in, I think most delivery managers get the management experience. The plan was kind of do what I did with Alio, but it's some cool startup. Go there, build out their inside sales team, scale that up you know, maybe close some deals along the way, become a VP of sales of happily ever after, find love. That was the plan. And then yeah, you guys approached me a year and a half in about this direct hire thing, which has been a lot of fun. What is it? Tell everybody what direct hire is. Yeah. So I guess I'll kind of say it the way you guys put it. So as I was approached, you know, memory blue was, was booming and we have a, you know, awesome sales team with the number one objection of hey, this sounds great. Outsourcing is not really in the cards right now. We're trying to take it in-house. We're having trouble hiring. You, know, you got anyone we could just hire or we need an account executive. You got anyone like that? Answer had always been no. Um, Till, you know, we found a direct hire. And you know, as we were growing, we had our own growing pains. Awesome internal team. But as we needed different roles and AEs and whatever it might be, you know, we tell a third party recruiter, we want someone scrappy. They're bringing us a candidate that just broke up a, a robbery at a liquor store being like, look how scrappy this person is. <laughs> I was like, that's not really what we meant. <laughs> so I was like, hey, the bar's set really low. We want y'all to come in, run your SDR offense and bring this sales challenger account-based marketing approach to recruiting and replicate our clients' top performers so they can scale and whatnot. So, but y'all had pitched that without using the word recruiter once. And I'm like, right, this sounds cool, but isn't this just recruiting? And I was like, yeah, but it's different. And then I have a lot of money involved too. So I was like, all right, like this sounds cool. I'll do it for six months. And then worst case scenario, just lie on my resume and go back to the regular plan. And you got to try things out. Yeah. Right? You have to. And you're kind of looking for reasons to stay too, where I've had the benefit of, you know, the longer you stay, the more you see people leave and mm-hmm. the grass isn't always greener. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. 
easy to take things for granted, I think, where a lot of people don't like their manager. A lot of people don't like the people they work with mm -hmm. and just everything. So when people, you know, realizing you have that and it's hard when it's the first job out of college. And I think a lot of people come here and they don't have things to benchmark it against. Yeah, right. So I would see people leave and it's like, you're, you're visibly less happy and you're making less money. So I got the benefit of seeing all that. And, yeah. you know, every friend, 95% of the friends I met down here, roommates all worked at memory blue. So you see them go through that and then, you know, they don't have that and they don't have the same work friends, the intramural sports, mm -hmm. the tops trips. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was looking for reasons to stay yeah. too. So yeah. it kind of like worked out. I'll tell you, man, it's a tough market right now. There's no doubt in B2B tech, but uh, Corcoran and I, I don't want to speak for Chris, but Cor Corcoran and I, the direct placement model, it's so critical, critical because these people you're working with are going to become your lifetime customers. Mm -hmm. versus going to sell cyber at company A and then maybe getting into a completely different type of cyber at a company B, you're kind of still selling the same and that's the best case scenario. I've seen people go from Amulet and, and it's not bad because you can sell the same customers, you can specialize in financial services, but you, you know, I sent you the text yesterday from the alum mm -hmm. who was working with you guys and he said part of the reason why they're working with us is because we, we or someone here place somebody in charge over there now at another job and i just love the fact that if we can and i think you see it the the long term like you're you're you know you're planting seeds each and every day that at some point will blossom right mm -hmm. I, I don't know that's what i love about what you do yeah and it's fun too because i'm very money motivated yes. so i didn't think i care as much about the the candidate stuff so, okay, I gotta stop you right there, Bones, because you hit, you hit on a little trigger for me, which is you said you're money motivated. Mm -hmm. So almost everybody in sales says they're money, money motivated. My experience has been most aren't money motivated. I'd say a very small minority of people are money motivated, and you're one of them. You yeah. are money, money motivated. You'll talk about what you were doing during COVID. I mean, if I needed, if I said, hey, Bones, I'll give you $5 to carry this bag down to my car, you, you wouldn't think twice. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that and where that came from and, and, and how really rare you think that is, or maybe you disagree with me. No, I, I agree, uh, especially being in management. You get a more pessimistic view of it because it's, <laughs> it's right there. And you see people don't, especially the low-hanging fruit, they don't grab it. So, yeah, I, I, like I was a... You know, I feel like you don't become a psychology major and political science major when you're money motivated. Mm -hmm. And I kind of view that in hiring too, of like a lot of people don't know they're money motivated. You know, they usually become the finance majors that know, but you don't know, like in college, like you're broke. And then you start, I remember getting the first quick start bonus, $750 hits your bank account on top of your first ever paycheck. And you're like, what the heck is this? Like yeah. there's like four figures in my bank yeah. account yeah. right now. This is insane. And then you have the, the feelings and the primal things in your brain. And you're like, I like this a lot. <laughs> yeah, I remember COVID, I was doing Uber Eats just because it was fun. As uh, a side hustle. Yeah, yeah. So drive around for uh, a few hours. You learn like little tips, tricks there. And then the, I guess the, my version, because I never viewed myself as like how my sister was. She always had the hustles. 
I started doing the as sports books became legalized, the new user bonuses with one of my best friends and learning how to do the sports book arbitrage stuff and, you know, buying my first condo in, in 2020. And that helped me purchase that. And then, you know, the goal is to buy that. Had a memory blue alumni, Patrick Martin, live with me. So, you know, you read about it and I always think I'm like, I don't know anything. And there's always the people I think they know everything. I was like, all right, like, what if I just bought this condo and lived with it? My numbers add up. This is better than paying rent. So did that in COVID. Interest rates were low, but I didn't really know what that meant until I bought my second one in May. And I was like, oh, that's what low is because now they're high. <laughs> but now the monthly payment's higher. So now I have Patrick Martin and Ben Skinner in there, have two ADP kids in my other condo. So like having that and like, wheeling and dealing with like the them paying me rent and like fixing that up and doing the sports book arbitrage stuff and i'm banned from all the books but teaching other people how to do that too which it's fun making money but then teaching other people how to do it where i've probably made over 15 people helping them educate them how to do it they've all made over ten thousand dollars just by kind of like self teaching myself with my friends and that helped me buy this house and hopefully the irs isn't listening did a team trip to Phoenix where, you know, part of how it works is new state legalizes it. All the boosts get maximized. So went there, did it, had Excel sheets, went to a UFC fight there. We were 12 deep. The ladies didn't go to the UFC fight, but they had some shopping money. By some miracle, it all worked out. So, but that gives you the confidence to then do other stuff of like, you know, people hear that. They're like, you're crazy. Are you gambling addict? Do you this, you that? I'd be like, no, I just was messing around with it and you got better and better and more comfortable with it. And then you go on different forums and read about things and you're in communities and you're like, you know, people only see the final product. They don't see as you're like bad at it and like mm -hmm. uncomfortable and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I've tried to buy websites before and that's all failed. And like you try to mess around with some things and then sometimes it works out. So where does that money motivation come from? Because so few have it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Definitely being cut from the baseball team had a big impact because you see people that are like, you think you're better than? Yeah. I'd still say I am. That makes you mad. Could be that. Could be, you know, I asked the girl to prom. She says no. It's things like that. Just competitiveness. It's kind of fun. I don't know. Bones keeps receipts. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, financial freedom gives you other freedoms because, you, you know, a lot of people think you live multiple times, but you only live once. So you get to do things, travel, have experiences. And I think my dad was a mechanic. He hated his job, 4 a.m. wake ups, cold garages. And you see like one parent hate their job. And you're like, well, what if I didn't hate my job? That would be cool. And what if I made a lot of money and then back to the leadership thing, created an environment where people like their job, their manager and are making enough money and you know you don't really need to leave and average tech sales lifespan in a role right now is a year and a half which is crazy average is only a year and a half so what if that was five ten years and you watch these people get married and buy houses and you know grow go on that'd be pretty cool yeah bone so you know i know you're a big sports fan and they talk about the concept of heat culture mm -hmm. right I think I, there's a concept I have of bones culture, right? On your on your team that you lead, you have you guys always have your own culture. Talk to me a little bit about that culture, how you grow it, how you facilitate it, 
how you replete towards it. Just talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. And that's, I guess, probably one of my special sauces. And I think you've got to care. I think a lot of leadership just in the whole world, they get into management for the wrong reasons. It's really appealing. You know, making a hundred dials a day is not fun. One of the outs to a comfortable compensation package is going into management and you no longer have to do that. And it's not a bad job. You're in air conditioning, other people are dialing. That's not bad at all. And the unfortunate reality is a lot of people get into management for that reason and not because they care. So I think showing your team that you care and you want it just as much as them, and hey, I'm in it for the right reasons, it gives you the ability to push them and go hard because they know bottom line is like, you want the same thing as them where it's coming from and it allows you to coach harder and then them to implement the feedback. And then like showing them like, hey, I'm on the same page as you, here's what I'm trying to create and foster this environment. Why I love direct hire so much is it can be permanent versus SDR rules a means to an end. Yep. It wasn't, you know, it was like, hey, this is gonna be a 15 month stint. You're gonna learn a bunch. We're gonna have a really good time and then go next. On direct hire, it's like, hey, there's enough financial upside here that you never need another job. And we can create this culture and I want that for me. I don't ever want to leave. I want you to stay and I want to create an environment with you where it's checking all our boxes. So what are those and helps being young and having similar interests to everyone and being creative and going paintballing or doing trips. And you know, I just think, what would I like? And then I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're essentially you're trying to recruit the younger version of Bones on the team. Yeah, and like if I worked for myself, what would I like? Yeah, I like food, traveling, different activities. I'm super competitive, so all the incentives. You guys like dominate intramurals. Mm -hmm. DH is all intramurals all the time. Yeah, so things like that, and I you know love those things. And Wednesday night, it's easy to do nothing, and you know we had a big win last night. We're now tied for first. Yeah, I would love it. If I got out of school, man, I'd come work for you, Bones. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Very good. So you talk a little bit about what you're doing now and kind of what you see for the future. Yeah, yeah. So obviously trudging through this market, figuring out, you know, sustained success here. Because it's interesting. We came in and not a good market, not a great market, probably the best market ever when we were doing this direct hire thing. So we didn't really know what we were doing. We thought our certain challenges were challenges when they weren't challenges and their real challenges hiding. So we're now trying to navigate, you know, this market and build the right muscle. So when things do turn, our ceiling is even higher, mm -hmm. but it's challenging for sure. Cause it's, we're, you know, three years in as of November in a, in a month, a month away from being three years in, it's still nothing in, in the industry. And, we did a, a podcast training yesterday where there's a few people in the Pinnacle Society, which is the top 25 uh, agency recruiters in the country. They talked about it, what they're seeing and everything and like taking notes from them. And it's like a lot of what we're doing now, which was great of like, yeah, you've got to like strip it down, focus on all the fundamentals. You got to do it the hard way. There's no shortcuts. A lot of people get soft when times are good. And then when things get tough, you kind of lost the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we're preaching, so my team doesn't think I'm crazy, they hear it from yeah. you know those fancy people. And then it was good to hear them talk about things we're still doing, and then that reassurance of like, it'll turn, you gotta be there when it turns, yeah. mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Yeah. 
Very good. So you're just muscling through the through the the headwinds right now, and and uh, bluer skies are ahead. Yeah, and trying to keep it fun, which is the because it can't just be you know yeah. push push push. So still trying to come up with incentives. Got the intramural sports still cooking, celebrating all the wins, even the ones that aren't just outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's tough, but yeah. You're impacting people's lives though, man. I'm telling you, you're getting people on these rolls, yeah. especially now. We just did Phenom, and I'm looking at some Phenom apps, and we're trying to discern who's a Phenom eligible and who's not. I'm like, man, they placed that guy? They placed that girl? They placed this person over here? The thing yesterday? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we placed somebody in that role that didn't even work here, and like a management. you're, You're touching people's lives. It's crazy. Yeah, and I didn't think I'd like that part that much. I was like, I don't really care about that. And then, you know, there's a lot of bad sales jobs out there. Mm-hmm. And I think back to, you know, instead of taking the Around Campus group, and my camera didn't even work in that interview. I didn't know how to use Skype. And George Guerrero still hiring me there. The alternative is one of those sketchy, not going to say pyramid scheme things in a yeah. grocery store. Yeah. And, you know, then you don't meet the memory blue and you're not in technology sales and there's probably way better sales people than me out there that don't you know they didn't get that start and you become what's perceived as damaged goods very quickly mm-hmm. and you know people want young people maybe you're a few years in and you had a couple of these weird jobs and sometimes it's even worse to be good at those bad sales jobs because you get stuck and then you're stuck and then you're older it's harder to get out you don't want to take the pay cut people are afraid even if you're down to take the pay cut of like eh, i don't trust that like so there's a lot of really good salespeople out there. And when you can coach them through the interview processes and get them at legitimate tech companies, it changes their, their lives. It does change their lives. And guess what? You may not think it's a big deal, but you know who thinks, thinks it's a big deal? They do. Yeah. They, they remember these pivotal moments when you help them get these jobs. And they earn it, getting the job, right? Nothing's given to them, but they remember the fact that you helped them. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty in, impactful. Yeah, it makes you feel good. I mean, you know, it's meaningful work when it works. Like I, I figured I'd like the client side more when I did this. I was like, yeah, I'll implement like the recruiting offense, but like I want to like negotiate with the clients and all that. I love you know the initial conversations, or I you know made a LinkedIn post yesterday. I've led like six people hit me up and like doing those conversations and like getting to know them. And it's same as a sales call, pulling pain, discovery. We're rolling out the opportunity in an applicable way. Sounds like you're having fun. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Very good. Bones. This has been very, very fun and insightful. And I know the other listeners will love this episode. Yeah, we went a little long. I'd love to go more and more to save it for another one. You're doing great things. You've done so much in such a short amount of time. We're talking nine to six years. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Nine to six years. And there's so much more to come. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, thanks, guys. This was great, Bones. Thank you. If your sales team struggles to hit quota or generate qualified leads, Memory Blues Academy Prospecting Principles Training Program is the solution. Great sales training is time-intensive and requires continuous guidance from sales experts. In this six-week course, our world-class facilitators use a hands-on learning approach to turn raw talent into industry-leading salespeople. From building targeted outreach lists to strategically overcoming objections, the key prospecting skills taught here create the foundation for strong sales performance. Our proven training cuts SDR ramp time in half and increases quota attainment by 89%. New cohorts launch twice per month, 
Head to memoryblue.com academy to see upcoming dates and secure your seat today. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep. Thank you.